Welcome to Tuning Japanese, a podcast where two dudes in their 30s talk about anime. He's been reborn thanks to a magic Chinese bird thingy. More on that later. He's blue. He's Ray. Hi, I'm Ray. <laughs> and I'm looking for my long lost father who left me and I'm sad. I'm Red. I'm Andy. You couldn't write anything more real than that. Shouldn't you be blue if you're sad? Aw, dabba dee ba da 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 You might want to cut that out. I don't, <laughs> don't think we're sanctioned. <laughs> Probably true. <laughs> hey, guys! Uh, so, <laughs> I had posted that we weren't going to have an episode of Tuning Japanese this week. Well, psych! We've got one for you. We've got an episode of Pokemon Generations 5 and 6. It's our fourth time doing this, I think. And, yeah, we're going to talk about Pokemon. Are you ready to talk about Pokemon? I'm ready, are you? I am too, but we got something to handle first. Some nerd news. And some oh, yeah. awesome nerd news. Because you and I had the absolute pleasure to go watch the Sailor Moon R Promise of the Rose premiere movie. It was premiering in certain theaters throughout the United States and elsewhere. The closest theater that was showing the movie was in Iowa City at a theater called the Sycamore Theater. And we went to go see uh, the movie. We just love the theater. We do. My pinky's up now as I say that. Yes, indeed. We are very much theater-going and loving folks. We don't deal with plebeian forms of entertainment like YouTube. By the way, the, you can find our episodes of Pokemon Generations we review on YouTube. Uh, so <laughs> so this is the uh, probably the millionth time that I've seen Sailor Moon R, the movie. Now, Did you literally count those yeah. times? Or is this another hyperbole? Yes, I taught my students what hyperbole was this week, so I'm, I'm using lots of examples of hyperbole at home. So this, one, this is, I think this is the second time technically that you've seen this movie? Mm, I watched half of the movie and I fell asleep. Oh, that's that's not a good start to, <laughs> to our review or our, our mini little discussion of Sailor Moon R. So now that you saw it in the theaters, before we, we talk a little bit about some of the things that we liked, just generally speaking, what was the experience like for you? Did you fall asleep? I don't think you fell asleep. Well, if it's any consolation, no, I didn't fall asleep Okay, this time. <laughs> okay. Um, so so what, what did you think about seeing a movie from like the 1990s redone in a, in a movie theater? It was kind of an interesting experience. I liked it. It was definitely, it was interesting. You know, I, I've i never even seen any of the Sailor Moon movies in theaters anyways, so it was actually a first for me. So. Yeah, and, and these were not ones that were in the theater to begin with, in American theaters at least, so I find it kind of interesting that they managed to revive it. Uh, for those who don't know, Sailor Moon has kind of hit a renaissance over the last couple of years. It's really come back into appreciation and style, I think, in large part because of two things. Number one, the creation of Sailor Moon Crystal, which was created a lot of buzz for the show, uh, the original series, and then the work that Viz has done, Viz being the company that bought the rights to Sailor Moon and then did the re-release of DVDs alongside of a brand new dub. And what's cool about this was that this wasn't... Japanese with subtitles. This wasn't the original voice actors from the 90s. This was a redone dub using the Viz actors, and I thought that was really cool. I do too. Um, I have to say, you've sh- you've made me watch a few of the Deke dubbed episodes, and I refuse to watch them. <laughs> just because of the stupid 90s, you know? I mean, I just like the reality of 
the way Viz Media is doing their dubs. You know, they're they're making it more mainstream, and I know we'll talk about some of those points here in a bit. Yeah, it was one of those things that you had to just live during the time and experience it, honestly, to really get the full appreciation of Luna having a British voice and. Molly having an obnoxious, like, I guess kind of a Brooklyn accent. <laughs> you know, you just, you just had to, and, and Artemis, <laughs> and Artemis being like so Canadian. Like, it was, it was the greatest <laughs> thing. But yeah, I really didn't do, enjoy, I did and do enjoy the Viz dubbing that they've done. Uh, and they really went all out in the movie, I thought. Who were some of the people we saw in the, the little trailer there. Oh, yeah. So at the beginning, what was really cool, and it kind of took me by surprise, is that they actually had three of the voice actors sitting down and kind of answering some questions. Not live in the theater, but obviously, but playing on the screen before we get to the actual movie. They may have been undead. We're not sure. Yeah, we're not sure, honestly. We had uh, Stephanie Shea, who is the voice of Usagi Tsukino, a.k.a. Sailor Moon. We had uh, Robbie Damon who is the voice of Mamoru Chiba, or Tuxedo Mask. And by the way, his shirt was bitchin'. His shirt was pretty awesome. There is actually a link uh, to a very short like, kind of segment where they kind of introduce the villain and the voice actor of the villain that you can find on YouTube, and he's wearing that same shirt. Uh, and it is this wonderful white shirt with black roses on it. It was pretty amazing. I think there was some gray, gray in there, too. Yeah, I think there was. Uh, and then also we saw Ben Diskin, who is the voice of Fiore, the main villain of this particular movie. So really, really fast. The plot of Sailor Moon R, the movie, the general idea is we get more of the backstory of Mamoru Chiba, and we learn that growing up, after his parents had died and he was left as an orphan, and he was trying to get well, I think in the hospital, he met with a young boy by the name of Fiore, who was an alien? And Mamaru, being the nice guy he is, gives him a rose. And at the beginning of the movie, near the beginning of the movie, Fiore returns as an adult, saying that he wants, he's going to repay uh, Mamaru's kindness. And things go kind of crazy from there. And I won't give too much of it away, but let's just say that the Sailor Scouts, of course, have to try to save Tuxedo Mask, that's normal, and uh, defeat Fiore. So it it's kind of a cool plot. It's prop it's probably my second favorite of the three movies, but still a really good and solid movie. What'd you think of that intro movie before we even got to it? Oh, the one where they do the whole montage of "Hey, this is who we are." Yeah, it was this like a is... recap. Oh yeah, between uh, Chibi Usa and Usagi. <laughs> yes, I I actually liked that because it was good to play that too. In case there were people who were new and didn't know about Sailor Moon, then you you kind of get this little brief montage of who these characters are before the movie. Yeah. Um, I really liked it because it really played up to the strengths and weaknesses of the Sailor Scouts. Mm-hmm. Of course, Usagi's just being Usagi and jealous of everybody, so... Yeah, the uh, the name was Makeup Sailor Guardian, and it was a 15-minute mini-movie that came on before, and it was actually a movie that was... This mini-movie was used in the original uh, as well when it was released in Japan in theaters. And essentially, it's just these two girls outside of this, like, coffee or juice shop or something like that talking about... And it's so funny. They see a poster 
for the Sailor Moon R movie. Oh, yeah, that's <laughs> It's right. got, like, Fiore <laughs> on it and everything. And they're like, wow, the Sailor Guardians are awesome! And then they go on and start talking about what their favorite Sailor Guardians are, who's the smartest, who's the strongest. And every time Usagi's like, it's gonna be me! Yeah. It's totally gonna be me! And Chibi Usa's a, being a normal, bratty child. It's like, nope. Uh, and every mm-hmm. time it's usually one of the other soldiers. Until Usagi gets upset and walks over and says, Hey, you're forgetting Sailor Moon! <laughs> and they're like, huh? <laughs> Until they finally talk about Sailor Moon and then she's happy. It was it was cute. Mm-hmm. It was yeah, cute. It was. I liked it. We got little clips from like season one and season two here and there uh, of kind of like the scouts kind of starring moments uh, in some spotlight episodes. So that was pretty cool. Uh, and then we got the movie itself. And again... As we mentioned, really good movie overall. Some of the things that I noticed about it and I really liked about this version was, first and foremost, God, I love the new Viz voice actors. I like the old voice actors yeah. probably a lot more than you do for nostalgia factor. But man, those Viz voice actors are just so darn good. I would have to agree with you. I do like the Viz act voice actors. Um, I know we listen to some in Japanese. I love watching stuff in Japanese and then mm-hmm. just reading the subtitles. So, yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, either way. I think either way works. Mm-hmm. I'd, Sailor Moon in Japanese is a lot of fun, too. I'll never forget when I learned that the voice of Usagi, uh, the voice actress, the Japanese voice actress, who Usagi is also the voice actress who did Excel, Excel, and Excel Saga, <laughs> blew my mind. But uh, So, yeah, the, the voice acting was really good. And as part of the voice acting, I liked how they updated some of the dialogue to make it sound a lot less cheesy. There was one scene in particular that really stood out to me where they're talking. It's after Mamoru has been stolen by Fiore. Spoilers. And they're all sitting around trying to figure out like what to do next. And they have this whole big conversation about same-sex relationships. And in the 90s version, in the Deke and the Cloverway version, they did a lot to try to hide same-sex relationships. You know, you had not Ma- well, Malachite or Kunzite is what I'm looking for, and Zoesite, who are both male characters. Um, they changed Zoesite into a female in the original Deke dub. So that way, I mean, God forbid you have two men that are in love. <laughs> I know, right? That's just so horrible. It is. It's terrible. It's terrible. I would never, never understand that. Um, and, <laughs> and then there's Sailor Moon S, which we're watching right now, where the Cloverway dub had that whole fiasco of turning Uranus and Neptune into cousins. So... <laughs> <laughs> Which, I mean, you know... Kissing cousins. Kissing cousins is fine. Just I, don't be gay. I Yeah, just don't be gay about it. <laughs> so it was, uh, it was it, kind of cool to listen to the, the Viz actresses really kind of take and, and redo that whole scene and make it sound like it's not that big of a deal. Like, even at the end, like, you hear, like, I can't think it might have been Ami saying, like, oh, I, I, I know some people at my school that are in those kind of relationships and stuff like that. And that was just kind of neat to me. I like that. Yeah, it, de- it definitely was a refreshed um, look. And, and to topics that are current and mainstream. Absolutely. Right now. Uh, the graphics were awesome. Um, definitely updated and graphics from the original version. Much sharper and, and really cool. It just was so cool to watch Sailor Moon in a movie theater. I mean, I can't say anything else about it. I did take a few photos too yes. while we were in there. Uh, I'll try to I'll try to post those on the Tuning Japanese website and maybe also on the Questionable Endeavor Network website, so you can check those out. Yeah, and we, uh, I did get a picture of the three voice act yes. actresses during their trailer, so mm-hmm. that should also show that awesome. Yeah, that little give us sweater. Yeah, that, that awesome <laughs> shirt, whatever it was. It was fantastic. Anything else to add about the Sailor Moon R movie? Nope. All right, let's move on. Uh, we are going to try to tackle today episode five and episode six 
of Pokemon Generations. Once again, if you are not familiar with Pokemon Generations, Pokemon Generations was a mini-series of episodes put out on YouTube by the Pokemon Company, and uh, each of these episodes delve into some aspect of the video game. Uh, It's not like the cartoon where they kind of change a lot of stuff from the source material. They dig into and kind of give a animated, real kind of life to certain parts. We've seen with uh, our past episodes when we talked about like the Elite Four being challenged by Blue. Uh, The last episode we did where we had the infamous Lake of Rage with the Red Gyarados. Today we've got episode five, The Legacy, and episode six, The Reawakening. I think you kind of hit it on the head too. It is really a reanimation of those popular Mm storylines from the games and building this whole generations theme up. And it's really cool that, like, again, we see, and we're going to see in this next, this first of the two episodes, how they continue to weave this thread between each episode. Everything connects in some way. The Lake of Rage, we had Lance as a main character there, tying back to what we saw with him in the Elite Four. Uh, we should do an interesting, like, tie back once we uh-huh. go through all these and yeah. see if there's any threaded. I think that's a good idea. I think we should like kind of see like what are the things that are used throughout that connect this and maybe connect the dots when we get done. I think it'd be a lot of fun. See, so, yeah, here we're going to get another example of that thread with that character of Looker, who, again, as we mentioned in an earlier episode, isn't really even in the games until Pokemon X and Y. But here he is, like back in, kind of like showing himself. Here, in this version, where we see him in red and blue, and we see him in uh, gold and silver. Do you think they're trying to say, hey, he's been here all along? Yeah, I think and, so. Yeah, that's that's kind of what I'm getting yeah. the gist of as well. Yeah, no, I, I definitely am. And I, I think it's it's kind of a cool character to do all that with, because there's a lot of crime in Pokemon. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> it's like... Nothing better than, like, you know, stealing someone's Pokemon, stealing their pets. Um, I always find it interesting. It's it's probably with video games in general. It's like your morality is mm-hmm. the authority within games as because you're the playable character. Right. Not that you're completely God, but you're the authority on right and mm-hmm. wrong. Mm-hmm. So... Isn't it isn't just weird how video yeah. games throw you into that role? Yeah, absolutely. And, and I don't think you can have a vi- can you have a video game without morality? Uh, Grand Theft Auto. Well, I mean, you could still do stuff correctly. You choose. That's true. Right and wrong. That's true. You would so choose. Yeah. There's a lot of video game. I don't even. I can't even think of one where you you're just kind of made to. Yeah, no, I can't. Unless think. you're really rail- railroaded. Yeah, I mean, I guess there's there's there are earlier earlier games without choice. Um, I know that. Will uh, was talking to me about an episode of Pwn Stars that they're going to be doing, or may already be out. I got to double check that actually at this point and look at the most recent release uh, about the illusion of choice in video games. And I think if you are interested in that topic, you should check out that episode of Pwn Stars. If it's up, we'll link that on our show notes as well. But let's just jump in. Let's jump into episode five, The Legacy. Go for it. Uh, so at the beginning, we've got a bird flying overhead and shadowed, and I'm pretty sure it's Ho-Oh. It's hard to tell, but I'm pretty sure it's it's Ho-Oh in the way (laughs) that... Probably. Yeah, but this is the way, the general shape of the bird flying overhead. Um, But that's not important for this one. That's the next one. We get the son of Giovanni wandering by Looker, our police friend, who has been looking into what happened with Team Rocket and Giovanni. Obviously, he's been on this case for a while, we find, because... Basically, we get, as we'll get later, Giovanni's son says the last time he's, he's talked to him has been three years. So he's been on the, the, the case looking for Giovanni for three 
years, probably over three years. Yeah, and I think that's why Giovanni's son makes the comment that the international police have so much has have so much time on their hands, mm-hmm. and he just says that's part of the job. That is part of the job. The son of Giovanni, by the way, is actually Silver. Uh, this is one of the uh, storylines that take place in Pokemon Gold and Silver. We're still in Gen 2, and Silver is the rival. Gold is, as we talked about in the last episode, Gold is our protagonist in these games, and Silver is the antagonist. And we don't find out when you play the games right away what Silver's motivation is. You just know that, oh, he's angsty and angry, and he seems to have a a vendetta against Team Rocket. What's cool here is that this gives us some of the background of why he doesn't like Team Rocket. You know, we learn the game that he is Giovanni's son, and here they really reiterate that hatred. I've never played the Silver or Gold game, so you would probably, probably know better than I yeah, and it's been a little while since I played through them. I had to do a little bit of research on the side for this. But Looker asks about an incident that happens in Goldenrod City. And they were going to use the radio tower as a way of communication to get a hold of Giovanni, saying, basically, it's our time to rise. Giovanni, come help us. The thing is, Giovanni never shows up. He's a no-show. And I don't think we ever find out what happens to Giovanni. And I could be wrong, but I cannot think of any resolution in that second game um, in the second series, Gen 2, with Giovanni. And I know later in this episode, they show a little flashback between Silver and Giovanni, mm-hmm. and he kind of explains what his methods are. But yeah, I would have to agree. They don't really, you don't really find out what he's doing. Yeah. The radio tower is a actual part of the game, obviously, in Gold and Silver. Um, when you're playing the, through the game, you're actually trying to il- infiltrate Team Rocket in there by pretending to be a Team Rocket member yourself. Um, but I have then, to say that would be really easy. <laughs> you would, yeah, you, you would really think. Just get a shirt with a giant R on the chest, and you're probably set. And a severe haircut of some of some yeah. kind. You definitely need an anime haircut. You could probably just paint the R on your shirt, really, if you want to try. In the game... Silver blows your cover. So uh, kind of interesting little kind of side note there that you don't necessarily talk fully about. Uh, Silver reveals, like I said, it's been three years since he's seen his father. And we get that flashback, as you said, where Silver kind of just tears into his father and berates him because he's being all moody and running away from his problems and running away from Team Rocket just because he lost to two kids. Which ties back to episode two, I do believe, um, where they talk about Giovanni losing to, uh, you know, when he goes back to his gym and loses to red and blue. So kind of a cool callback. And I think it could be up for discussion, the whole point of, has he really seen his father in three years? Hmm. Or, yeah, that's true. And um, we'll kind of go into that when we touch base once we hit that flashback. Yeah. Giovanni talks about building an organization as part of the flashback, and one day he plans to come back and make Team Rocket a much stronger entity. But then Silver whines and says that he's going to be strong all on his own and runs off. And one of the cool things about this is that Silver changes quite a bit as a character. Blue doesn't really change all that much. He's kind of cocky and an asshole throughout the entire thing. And then he gets into the Elite Four and he's like, yeah, I'm a cocky dick. <laughs> and is just kind of what he is. Silver changes quite a bit partway through the game and he realizes, yeah, he can't really... He has to kind of like change his ways and be a better person. And he actually tries to, in some ways, impress and show the main character, uh, Gold, from the game, that he is not a bad person. 
kind of to atone for everything he does throughout the game in a way. And I find that kind of cool. I like redemption stories, though. Giovanni, went, during this flashback, he talks about how they're building the organization and one day he's going to make Team Rocket great again. <sighs> I had to. You had to go there. <laughs> oh, good lord. And he does this by working alone until he can revive Team Rocket. But he could be doing this with his son, technically. Technically, yes. And just behind the scenes. And it kind of makes you wonder, you know, with all their flamboyancy, the Team Rocket just acting just uh-huh. stupid and crazy and yeah. being fools, blowing out their own covers. And it just makes me feel like Giovanni's more like, okay, I don't... I'm going to just do this on the down low. Yeah. Work my plans up because apparently other times it didn't work. <laughs> yeah. So I'm going to do a different method. Mm-hmm. And, you know, part of me is kind of like, well, what if his son is part of that plan? Yeah, that's I interesting. Mean, he is working alone, but he, he knows his son. Mm-hmm. And maybe this is part of that plan. And maybe that's why we see Silver going through these changes is mm-hmm. because maybe mm-hmm. it's part of Giovanni's actual plan. Yeah, that's possible. I like what your whole idea that maybe this um, there's some sort of like behind the scenes thing going on. You know, maybe Giovanni's pulling some strings that we never even know about in the series because you know we have this scene here where the Team Rocket members are earlier look like lost. They're like, "Come on, boss, come home," and he doesn't show up. Like maybe he's lost faith in Team Rocket. Maybe he doesn't really need Team Rocket. <laughs> Silver, by the way, is standing outside of the Elite Four. We come to find out as they pan up at one point, and we see uh, that entrance way and the stairs. Yeah, the Pokemon League, and uh, apparently he's training now to take on the Elite Four. Um, I think he's past training. I think he's going to challenge them. Yeah, I think. Yeah, I mean, he's he's he well, he, yeah. He says he's walking up. So. It's right at sunrise too. Right That's when true. the Lights come on. on yeah, the, the blue light yeah. like kind of lights yeah, up. That, that was, was weird. Cool. It, it kind of confused me at first, but then I realized, oh, okay, they're just opening. Up. Yeah, they're opening <laughs> up for business for the day. So yeah, he's focused. He wants to show how much he's changed, how much he loves his Pokemon, and how he can really rely on himself and become the Pokemon League champion. Spoiler alert, he never does in the video game. Way to go. Sorry. You just ruined it for me, too. I've never played the games. Sorry, sorry. Um, <laughs> what if I fail at becoming the Pokemon League champion? Would Silver win then? Yeah, probably. Uh, what's really cool... I'll just fail to begin with. <laughs> what's really cool in the game, this is the first set of games that had different things that happened on different days, because it kept track of like what day of the week it was, It had, of internal clock and such. And there were certain days where you could actually find him training, trying to go back into the Elite Four and win again. And other days where he'll actually stop you and say, like, hey, let's fight. And after you get to a certain point in the game and you've beaten the Elite Four so many times, he uses a Golbat as part of his team. What's really cool is that after a certain point and after a lot of time, he no longer has a Golbat, but he has a Crobat. And the only way to get a Crobat is if you have a high friendship with your Golbat, which means that he has changed and become mm-hmm. pure-hearted. And that's a, such a subtle little hidden thing that if you don't pay attention you may never notice and i thought that was super cool again does he have to be pure-hearted to get his friendship up with his pokemon can it really be like a nefarious plan by giovanni where he's just kind of like oh i'm keeping my pokemon happy Uh, (laughs) i guess i guess yeah i mean i mean conspiracies they've done other stuff to make pokemon shiny yeah i mean if they can do that they can up a friendship no problem. I, I guess. I guess. But that's it. Basically, it ends with him walking up the stairs and Looker just kind of standing there. So that's the end of episode five of Pokemon Generations The Legacy. What are your thoughts on this episode? 
Um, it was short compared to the other episodes, I felt. It, yeah, I don't even, I don't know if it was even, if it was shorter or if it just felt shorter. Yeah, maybe there just wasn't as much action going on, yeah, maybe that's yeah, why. Yeah, there wasn't anything happening. It was mostly talking and, mm-hmm. hey, Giovanni, where is he? Yeah. It, it it was cool to see that connection that, again, that thread that's being weaved throughout these. But I don't know. When I think of that, I don't think of that as, obviously, the rival. We've talked about the, the significance of the rival. We had that when we looked at the episode where Blue kind of took on the Elite Four and then was awaiting the challenge of Red. But I don't know if this particular scene with the rival was as important as some of the other things that they maybe could have talked about in the series. It was a little boring to me. And maybe they're maybe the makers are trying to get the point across that, you know, all the players, if they've played it, they know how the story goes. Yeah. For those that have played it. And yeah. then for those who haven't, um, you're getting this sense of that draw and that, oh, okay, uh-huh. I need to know more about the story now. Oh, okay. So it, it kind of goes both ways. You're As a player who's played it, you're getting more of the story. Uh-huh. And for someone who's never played it, you're seeing this snippet and say, oh, I want to play the game now because uh-huh. I need to know the story. So it hits on both levels, actually. Yeah, and it makes sense because the first games were so heavily focused on Team Rocket and Giovanni. And here we have... This continuation of like, okay, so what happened to this guy? So yeah, I guess it does kind of tell a, a really consistent narrative across these different episodes. I guess I never really thought of it that way. Or non-family friendly friendly version. Um, he really created Pokemon sex slavery. Oh, and good that's Lord. what Giovanni's doing. Oh my God, where are you getting that from? <laughs> I don't know. I, just made it up. Oh my <laughs> God. Uh, I think at that, we need to move on to episode six. The reawakening. Did uh, I win? <laughs> I I don't know what you did. I, think I, won. <laughs> I don't know what you did. Uh, we're gonna move on to, to this Winning, next one. Duh. Oh, good lord! Uh, we are introduced at the beginning of this episode to Yusin. That is spelled weird. It took me about five minutes to find his name online. He's walking into a burned tower, looking for the ancient Pokemon Suicune. And I say it like this because most of his dialogue is told in a dramatic voiceover. Yeah, that's pretty dramatic. <laughs> yeah, what do you think of like the whole like voiceover instead of like him actually engaging in conversation? I don't know. His cape was pretty sweet though. That cape was badass. Yeah. He looks badass. He was just like flaunting in this place like strutting in like he owned it. I felt like he could have been a little bit of a businessman pimp. <laughs> okay. Like like kind of I mean, a combination. He, he had like a diamond on the cuff yeah, and that's all true. that. And... That's true. I don't know, I just made that up too, so... <laughs> you seen as a paired for Pokemon Crystal. Crystal, I never played. Uh, Crystal was like a game that came out after Gold and Silver. It was a game... They did this actually quite a few times in the Pokemon series, where you had red and blue, and then you had yellow, which was basically the same story with some changes. Then you had Gold and Silver, and then you had Crystal, which was basically the same story with some changes. You also had Ruby and Sapphire, and then you had Emerald, which was, again... Had some changes to it, but was basically a similar story. I think the only time that they really broke away from that mold and really made games seem really unique was Pokemon Black and White and Pokemon Black and White 2, where you had a continuation after the fact. Mm -hmm. Um, It wasn't necessarily just the same game with a little bit of tweaking. Um, So this was, I don't know. I mean, I'm gonna, I'm gonna just say it plainly. This is a, this is a, a cash grab. Is what this game was, Pokemon Crystal. Yeah, I'd have to say that that's kind of the normal mainstream. I mean, you're cashing in on your fan base, the fan base, and also like it's the next installment. And they add like one Pokemon in. 
but like it's yeah. basically the same game, so they didn't have to spend a lot of money doing it. You know, it's like, oh, here's a storyline with this guy you seen who's looking for Sui Kune. Oh, if you want this storyline, you just gotta pony up for another game. <laughs> so his story uh, can also be played out in the video games in the reimagined or the redone versions of Soul Silver and Heart Gold. Um, they did actually include him in those games as well. He sees a drop of water. And we get this flash of some sort of vision. Um, and then he wanders into the Burnout Tower. This was a location that apparently stood 150 years earlier from when he's wandering in. In the city of Akrutiak. And uh, we get this kind of like, almost like, I guess, I don't know if it's like ancient feudal Japan or Chinese sort of feel. I don't know. What what kind of vibe did you get from this whole like city and like the music it, and all that? Was it, 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 was, it looked feudal era for sure. Uh-huh. Um, but I'm not sure about the setting. I didn't really think about that, actually. Yeah, I think that that's one of the things that stood out to me was, like, the stylistic kind of visuals and the music especially. The music was, was very stylized and interesting. And um, in the flashback scene, we get some, like, kind of cool, almost watercolor sort of looks in some ways. Like, just some interesting art style. Like, the sky is, is very interesting, like, um, like the way it's drawn. It's drawn very differently. This temple that was once standing was once known as the Brass Tower. He says, I want to meet you again, Sui Kyun. I want you to be able to believe in people again. (laughs) You should just be the voice actor for that. I should. He's so dramatic. He's so dramatic. Uh, we get a flashback scene. The tower is on fire. No way. Three way. It was, that's why it's called the Burn Tower? Uh, no yeah. <laughs> yes. Yes, indeed. Um, three Pokemon. Unknown Pokemon. They don't even show what they actually look like. Now, that part I was really confused with because yeah. the video showed almost like three Doberman Pinscher, almost like Houndoom yeah. type. Yeah. Dog Pokemon. So that's really odd to me. Yeah, I think that, well, I mean, one of the things to keep in mind about Pokemon is that you think you know all the Pokemon, but it's constantly changing. And who knows, these Pokemon might be extinct at this point, uh, for all we know. Because you have Pokemon all the time, like in the fossils and stuff, like the Kabutops. So it makes sense that because of the fact that you already have proof that there are extinct Pokemon, maybe these are just Pokemon that just don't exist. Or... You know, we find new Pokemon all the time when the new games are. Maybe we just haven't seen them. I don't know. With it being set in that feudal era, I'm, I would have to lean more towards your explanation that they're an older po- type Pokemon. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And it's really weird, you know, what if they were like temple Pokemon mm-hmm. that were just in there and guarding the temple? Like uh, food dogs or yeah, something. Yeah, kind of something like that. Mm-hmm. Doberman food dogs. Doberman food dogs. <laughs> I love it. And they perish in a fire, these three dogs. They're engulfed by flames. Rain comes down, sets out, uh, kind of puts out the fire, and we get, like I said, this cool shaded art style as part of the flashback. And then Ho-Oh appears. And Ho-Oh is, they describe him as a sparkling rainbow. Flies down into the tower and brings these three Pokemon back to life. Now, you did some research on Ho-Oh. Can you want to tell our fans a little bit about Ho-Oh and what he really is? In my research, I found out that Ho-Oh is modeled after the Feng Huang, or a Chinese phoenix. Mm-hmm. If you look at some pictures online, there's uh, there's an actual temple in Taipei that has a Feng Huang on, on its uh, t- rooftop. Yeah, you showed um, me. That's awesome. That was a really cool visual of that. It's just nice to see them kind of integrate that mythology from 
different cultures and bring that into play as well. And that's one of the cool things about Pokemon. Um, we talked about it when last time when we were talking about how the Pokemon Sun and Moon obviously are leaning on Hawaiian culture. You get this here with all this it's kind of like Chinese background, which is really neat. He, like you said, comes down and causes these three dead, burnt Pokemon to be reborn as Suicune, Entei, and Raikou, um, the three sort of mythical Pokemon from this particular series. And that was a cool scene. I, I have to admit, that was uh, some cool visuals of them, like, forming into life. Yeah, I thought that interesting, too, and all the whole... Just all those people there, the citizens just standing outside the tower watching this happen. Mm -hmm. You know, back then they it was very superstitious and yeah. everyone believed in these creatures. And to see something like that, of course, they would react um, with violence. With violence, apparently. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, someone picks up a rock and like throws it, and the rest of them like pick up pieces of the battered building ready to just attack them. I do like the part where the adults show the violence, but yeah. they show like this, this kid, this kid, this girl or boy, I, I wasn't too sure, just kind of with one wonderment in, yeah. in their eyes. And that just goes to show how innocent children are and mm -hmm. how biased adults can be. Yeah, it gets into that whole theme of like this innate evil and fear that exists within a lot, a lot of humans, um, all humans really. Um, especially adults. Uh, that is cool. I'm glad you brought that up. That that's that it is was really easier neat. to to blame it on the environment than Absolutely. to accept your own Absolutely. consequences. Once the three nameless Pokemon are yeah. are resurrected, um, be, the people react in violence because they have a fear of the power that's manipulating life. Mm -hmm. You know, to them, death is final. Yeah, and, and um, what's dead is dead. It stays dead, mm -hmm. and to them. Even the three Pokemon, if you really think about it from that mindset, these things would be ghosts or undead Pokemon mm -hmm. or even just evil beings. They even kind of look evil if you look at some of the face masks yeah, absolutely. that Entei and Raikou. Raikou have. They're very scary looking. Oh, absolutely. And with Suicune, it's very fluid and yeah. it's got like these wisp, wisp um, antenna coming off. Coming off, I yeah. Mean, to be honest, I'd be scared too back in the day. No, definitely. They, they would have been seen as perhaps some sort of, like you said, evil entity. Mm -hmm. And you know, here you have this bird coming down, changing the whole balance of life and death. We cut back to reality um, where Yusin is at the top of the burnt-out building. And he, again, longs for the day that Suicune and the others will return. And, you know, hopefully that he'll return once... He realizes that he has nothing to fear from humans. And then, guess who shows up? Suicune. Yeah, he just shows up. Uh, do you know if it's a girl or a boy? I, I know most of the legendary Pokemon are genderless. Yeah, I, I think this one's probably genderless as well, honestly. Mm -hmm. um, but Suicune just shows up, right? So I guess well, the wish is granted, you know. He sees the kindness in Yusin's soul, right? That there's not this malice that exists that, like, other humans maybe have, right? So that like, he shows himself to him, which I thought was pretty cool. In the games, it's kind of cool, too, because this actually sets off a whole thing where Yusin is searching for Suicune, and you can actually find him in different places, and you have to go a certain order before you can actually 
hopefully obtain, I believe, Suicune uh, as part of that. So it's kind of cool. And then we end with a Ho-Oh feather falling, which you noted something about. <laughs> yeah, I noticed that the colorations on the feather are backwards. Mm-hmm. Um, the base is green, the middle is white, and the end is reddish-orange. Right, and it's actually um, the opposite It's on the actually bird. the opposite. Uh, the tips of the feather are green, the middle is white, and the base is technically reddish-orange. We're on to you, Pokemon Generations. Tisk tisk. It's another error. I feel like these three legendary Pokemon may know more about humans mm-hmm. than humans know about them. They sense those nonverbals and they can mm-hmm. understand that they weren't wanted. And even they understand that humans aren't going to change overnight or even right. over 150 years. Over time, Suicune is showing you seeing that, hey, you know, I understand what you're saying, but until more people show us we're not going to just show up. Yeah, we're not here to entertain you, right? You know, we've got our own things that we that that we exist for. But at least, like you said, showing up and at least telling them, like, I understand where you're coming from. You know, I don't think you're a bad person. Keep doing what you do. I'm not, I'm too. I'm not. I'm not ready to reveal myself to how harsh mankind can be. And that is the end of episode six, The Reawakening. General thoughts on this one. I have to say I liked this episode better better than number five. Mm-hmm. There was more substance there in the story versus yeah. in episode five. Yeah, five, there wasn't much going on. This, at least, you got a cool bit of like the mythology of the legendaries, which is something that I don't know that we've really gotten yet. I don't think we've really delved into. Like, they didn't delve into Mew or Mewtwo. Uh, or the the three legendary birds in, at all yet from Gen 1, did they? Not that I can remember. Yeah, no. so this, this would be the first time. I mean, aside from uh, the very first episode where we saw Pikachu facing off and we had, like, all the different moments where the different legendaries flew by, this is the first time where we actually get some background on the legendaries. So this in itself is actually a kind of a cool episode for that. It is, I think, a really cool episode. I, I like that one quite a bit more, like you said, than episode 5. That is that, and I think we're done, aren't we? Yeah. Anything else that you can think of before we go? Nope. All right. We will be back at some point with our review of Pokemon Generations Episode 7, The Vision, and Pokemon Generations Episode 8, The Cavern. All right, so if you enjoyed the show, make sure you subscribe on iTunes, check us out on Stitcher, Podomatic, the Questionable Endeavor Network at questendnetwork.com, our website, tuningjapanese.com, all those places to hear this episode. Don't forget to follow us on Facebook and Twitter, facebook.com slash tuningjapanese or at tuningjapanese on Twitter. can check out our Patreon, patreon.com slash tuningjapanese. We've got like over an hour's worth of bonus content and bonus episodes up right now uh, that you can listen to right now for the low price of $1. So go check that out. Or more if you want. Ah, more if you want. That's true. There are some other really cool stuff. Definitely check that out. Oh, by the way, Bill was under the weather. That's why we're, we're doing the, the bonus episode. Just want to make that, that clear. We'll be back uh, next week, for sure this time, with our next review of Trigun as well. And it's my birthday. It's hey! My birthday. It's Blue's birthday! Happy birthday. Oh, better not get sued. All right, so, <laughs> uh, thank you for listening to Tuning Japanese a podcast where two dudes in their 30s talk about anime. I still haven't found my father. I'm Red. I'm Andy. And I might be undead. <laughs> oh, no. by Ho-Oh. Oh, God. I'm blue. <laughs>
Oh, God. And we will see you guys next time. Bye. <laughs> Thanks for listening to Tuning Japanese. For more information, visit our website, tuningjapanese.com, like our Facebook at facebook.com slash tuningjapanese, and follow our Twitter at tuningjapanese. You can also get a hold of the show by sending us an email at tuningjapanese at gmail.com. Please help support the show by going to iTunes and leaving a five-star rating and review. You can also go to patreon.com slash tuningjapanese to get all kinds of bonus content and help support the show monetarily. Tuning Japanese is part of the Questionable Endeavor Network. For more information on other podcasts and articles, check out questnnetwork.com. While you're there, listen to more great podcasts like the Shadowbane Podcast, the Rundown Wrestling Podcast, Raw Attitude Podcast, Geek and Gamer Guild, the Slasher Sanitarium, Pwn Stars, and our brand new show, New Blood Rising.